Welcome to Dissecting Education, where we take a spherical look at the education landscape from many vantage points. We're your hosts, Melanie Hicks and Rachel Jones. We're excited you're here with us. Let's get started. On this episode of Dissecting Education, we have the privilege of interviewing Brittany Hale, who is the founder and CEO of BND Consulting Group. After graduating from Boston University School of Law, Brittany worked as a securities litigation analyst at Bloomberg LP and eventually began to develop legal marketing strategies for her clients. In 2016, Brittany used her skills as a former Obama organizing fellow to run for office and became one of the youngest Black women to hold office in her state. She also distilled her experience in litigation, politics, and marketing to develop BND Consulting Group, which helps companies codify, clarify, and elevate core values as an operational framework for decision-making to establish competitive advantage. Brittany is also the vice chair of the GEM Project, which is a nonprofit and provides leadership and educational workshops for students in economically depressed communities. She also serves as the youngest woman ever on the Rawway Redevelopment Agency, where she evaluates developers looking to launch development projects in the city. In August 2020, she developed the first Municipal Social Justice Commission in New Jersey and currently serves as an executive director. She is a 2021 New Leaders Council Fellow and serves on the Rutgers University's Dean's Cabinet. Join us in welcoming Brittany. Well, welcome. We are so excited uh, that you're here with us today. So tell us a little bit more about you that we didn't just hear in your bio. Okay, thank you so much. So my name is Brittany Hale and I am an attorney, entrepreneur, and currently a president of a board of education. And so, you know, there are certain through lines that I found throughout most people I've admired uh, lifetime. And I found through my own education and advocacy have always been the main drivers throughout my life. It's what drove me into becoming a, a trial attorney. It's what drove me into running for office and definitely what drove me toward a pursuit of office as it pertains to education. So as president of the Board of Education, responsible now in this crazy time for developing reopening plans, uh, evaluating the curriculums, and essentially making sure that the schools are run well. I am the founder and CEO of BND Consulting Group. And BND Consulting Group, we provide organizations with the tools to develop authentic values-led identities within their industries. Doing so helps them save money, keep their best talent, and develop effective leaders in an organizational culture that's uniquely suited for them. And so, you know, this, this concept of culture was something that developed throughout my uh, career. I'd started at Bloomberg after going to law school. Most people, I say, become lawyers and then learn the business of law because, spoiler, most lawyers are really bad business people. Sorry. <laughs> but uh, I actually did the opposite. So I went into learning the business in and around law and then practiced from there. And so I attribute much of my success as a trial attorney and beyond 
to identifying that gap between how at the time a potential juror operated and what they said. And I found that in education and law, um, that was just something that was very gap between how people operate and what they say. And over time, I realized that organizations were essentially scaled out juries, right? There's always that gap between what they say and how they operated. And so I developed uh, an organization that sought to, to close that gap by providing uh, some of those tools that I learned throughout my experience. That's and amazing. Um, tell us a little bit more about kind of your, give us a little bit of land land on um, your role on Board of Education. Um, how does that like, Sure. A lot of people don't know what goes on behind the scenes there and how you bring, you know, your leadership, your attorney experience and your consulting experience into that role to make uh, good decisions on behalf of the students. Yes. So I would first like to start by saying that I never thought that I would run for office. And, you know, some people say that, but I, I really, really meant it. I had this idea of politicians being, you know, between 50 and 70 uh, year old, you know, white men with the the American flag on their lapels, right? And and didn't really understand the connection between uh my own advocacy and what that was like. And I'd actually started tutoring children in my neighborhood. And over time, I just got really frustrated because so many of the connections and opportunities and uh, personalities that I connected with, with the instructors that I'd had growing up, they didn't really have. And I saw that they were so bright, but just really weren't challenged and really uh, didn't seem to have people who were tapping into their potential. And so I, I always tell people I got a little bit nosy and then I decided to, to run and fortunately was elected. Uh, there were three people running for, uh, seven people running for three positions at that time, excuse me. Wow. And so, yeah, it was, it was really interesting because one of my opponent's main gripe was that I did not have children. And, um, that was, you know, not a requirement to run for office, but, you know, every time he said that, you know, I, I think it's weird that you, you don't have children and you want to run for the board of ed. I said, well, you know, I have to live with yours. So I'm just as invested in making sure, you know, that they are, um, they're presented with challenges and opportunities that are going to grow them and that they understand how to make good decisions. So I love that so much. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's true, right. You know, I mean, it, easy to to localize your own interests when you have children in your home but your children are part of a broader community as are you and so uh getting onto the board you know there's been so many things that we've really had to draw attention to one of the things i'm most proud of is uh, we petitioned for a grant for all day preschool within our city which is free to residents within our community and Study after study shows that early education is key to a child's educational success and their success thereafter. So we loved being able to get three and four year olds into this preschool and we didn't even have to publicly advertise, you know, <laughs> as soon as right, the parents right. heard about it, they, you know, we'll, we'll sign them up. So, um, so as, as president, it's 
identifying the obstacles uh, for the superintendent, you know, so as a Board of Education Commissioner, you know, there are certain ethical standards that you're held to. And one of those is that you're not tasked with administering the schools, right? You can't be in the schools every day saying, hey, you know, if you want that promotion, I need you to raise these test scores, right? That's not, that's not the role. However, you are charged with making sure that the schools are run well. So uh, evaluating curriculums, evaluating personnel issues, um, you know, making sure that employees that are part of unions are, you know, you're adhering to the processes built out by these unions, as well as advocating for your community uh, when it comes to, you know, the federal and, and state government, you know, um, I happen to belong to a community that was chronically underfunded by the state. So we were receiving about 60% of the funding that we were supposed to get every year, while other communities were receiving well, in excess of 100%. And so, you know, we it involved going to the legislature and, you know, doing a lot of petitioning to say, hey, listen, you know, <laughs> these these kids are part of the state community. Uh, I live in New Jersey, so there's a huge concern about what's called the brain drain, right, which is mm -hmm. so many people wanted perhaps leaving the state to go to other places to seek opportunities. And we don't want that to happen. You know, we want to make sure that people, people feel like they have opportunity in the state. And part of that comes with providing uh, a, a quality education. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, and then with this, with the pandemic, you know, we were able to fairly smoothly transition to a remote model. Uh, we, we're a Google district, so we use, uh, we were able to get uh, Google hotspots as well as Chromebooks to every child. So we had a one-to-one, -one, meaning that every child in the, in the district was able to have a hotspot and a laptop. So even if you had four children in the home, that was four laptops, because you know if you even have a, a home computer, it wasn't going to be feasible for everyone to, to go to class that way. So. Um, orchestrating yeah. the reentry back into school uh, it's it's been interesting you know you have to balance the the interests of the children as well as the teachers and while you would think that they would be aligned they aren't always so right that's actually a really <laughs> a big misnomer right there's a lot of um in a lot of the work we do we're talking not just through the podcast but with a lot of different um uh a, a lot of different organizations and uh it it is amazing how diverse the opinions on what should be happening are right and uh they come from a, a place of validity right they come from uh their lens their perspective on what's happening in the classroom or what's happening at their school at the district at the school level or district level right and and figuring out what's best uh is a uh, a tricky thing. So I give you all the great, uh, credit for, for, you know, being Absolutely. in that, putting, putting yourself in that position to, to have to make those tough decisions. Right. Absolutely. And I will say in at least our district, you know, we are not paid, we are not compensated for our work. So, um, I've had quite a few parents say, you know, you're paid to do this. And I said, I promise you, I'm not. <laughs> you're <laughs> like, like, no, no, really not. <laughs> right. Uh, 
but I think the key to that and part of where my, my legal education comes in is, especially as a trial attorney, is to know your audience, mm-hmm. right? You have to understand where people are coming from. And I think, especially in these times, people are very tempted to be dismissive of others' concerns if it doesn't align with their own to say, you know, this person's crazy or, or whatever it is. And I've never found that to be helpful. So if we can, I always start with the very, very basic agreements. Can we agree that you believe that, you know, an education is important for your child? Can we agree that you would like for your child to be educated in a safe and nurturing environment, you know, and build up from there? And that is really something that I found useful in helping to bridge understanding. And, you know, even if, we may disagree on the roles of, uh, you know, masks or, or vaccines or whatever. In doing so, um, providing those very fundamental agreements, it, it it takes a lot of tension out of the conversation. You know, mm-hmm. because at the end of the day, these are parents, right? They want to be heard. They want to feel validated in their concerns for their children, and that definitely matters. Absolutely. Yeah, and it's it's so great that you're taking that position to really facilitate the common understanding versus taking a side or even having that perception of taking a side because, you know, in school districts, I think one of the biggest issues is that parents don't always feel welcome or they're, you know, not, they're a little scared of school and they feel like, you know, whatever their experience was may not have led them to feel like they're part of that community. So the fact that you're especially in this time, really trying to facilitate that, I think is wonderful because that's not happening in every district. Thank you, Rachel. And I, I agree with you. You know, it's we are informed by our own experiences and we would hope that our children have an experience that's uh, better than ours. But, you know, we we very often are responding to what we experienced, um, right. not necessarily, you know, what's happening now. And so I just think it's so important to uh, not make assumptions, you know, when interacting with these parents. It's a very tense time. Everyone's gone through so many different types of loss and being respectful of that, being respectful, again, of the, the concerns around their children's safety. It's a valid and I, I don't think it's it's helpful to to just you know be dismissive of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wouldn't yeah. want someone to be dismissive of my concerns, so I, I try to extend that to to others as well. Right. Yeah. So going back to um, you were talking a little bit about your role and evaluating curriculum and some of the other things that you do, so. Now that um, we are transitioning back into schools and we're seeing some of the, um, you know, the CARES Act funding and all of those things starting to trickle in, how is your district approaching that? Um, Because I think in some areas it's a great opportunity to add resources or, um, you know, think about things that maybe we wouldn't have if we didn't have that additional funding. Absolutely. So, there have been, we've kind of kept a, a running wish list. So I've been on the board for the past six years. And during that time, you know, always kept in mind, what is it that we, you know, if funding weren't an issue, what would we want to do? Mm-hmm. Uh, we have an increasing community of 
uh, children where English is not their first language. And so we've needed to create more ESL courses there. We've needed to make sure that not only our teachers, but our there's people around who are bilingual and who can respond to the needs of the children, right? So even having guidance counselors, right, who speak uh, a few different languages is so crucial because many of these children, they're their parents, first of all, um, may or may not be documented. And so if they're experiencing issues, um, we don't get a lot of feedback from the parents because they don't wanna make waves or make trouble, right? They don't wanna draw any attention to themselves. And so we wanna create a safe space for the children so that if they're having some sort of issue, whether it's learning, whether it's environmental, whether it's you know some sort of psych that we provide those resources that are necessary to help them. Mm -hmm. um, also, you know, making sure that we have options on our website, right? So even if parents don't feel comfortable coming into the school, that they can translate the website efficiently so that they can seek those resources out, you know, within their level of comfort. Uh, mm -hmm. So that's one thing that we've been able to do Another is we have a very, very, very robust uh, robotics program. And we've just been so focused on making sure that uh, these students have that opportunity to really dig into tech, you know, especially uh, we had a chapter of Girls Who Code. So that was something that was crucial, you know, selfishly as a, <laughs> as a woman, you know, I wanted to make sure that these girls Every opportunity. Um, just this past, I think it was March, I, I spoke with a group of girls from fourth to sixth grade because their principal said, you know, so many of them are saying that they're not going to go to college. And they asked them, well, playing looks different, right? Playing is going on YouTube and looking at a toy review, right? Or, you know, kids mm -hmm. are playing influencers. So I thought, okay, maybe they want to be influencers as opposed to something else but they felt they weren't smart or, and that was a, you know, that was a record scratch moment where he's just like, absolutely not. You know, we cannot afford to have these, these issues happening. So um, that's been a big issue. And then I recently restarted a mock trial program for the students. So our sixth grade gifted and talented students, I took a, um, it was a riff off of the three little pigs and I created a, a fat, a complaint, you know, so they could actually see what a legal complaint looks like. Half of them were charged of their half were plaintiff's attorneys on behalf of the pigs. The fifth graders were the jury. And so we really just got them to, um, to understand how to craft an argument, how to present, right? How to think critically and and build up their self-esteem right because what they what they have to say is important and um building up those skills so that by the time they go to high school they have a practical understanding of perhaps what practicing law would be like so uh, these are some of the the initiatives that we've been playing around with so i hope that answers your question i just i get so excited i just <laughs> <laughs> i love your passion um you know one of the things that that you just mentioned that i think is so critical and we don't talk about it enough and we're starting to but still is the idea of um 
giving students, particularly young students at the, you know, at the elementary level, like fifth graders, um, the empowerment to say your voice matters, right? Mm -hmm. So that they go through their life. We're told in so many, and I hate to, not I hate to, it's the reality. It's women are told or little girls are told much more, right? To, to stay quiet and to kind of put up with it or speak only in certain situations and not others. And I think it's so important to amplify this idea that like, it's, you need to be kind of emotionally mature about how you speak up and make your voice matter, but that you shouldn't stay quiet, right? We shouldn't just put up with things because it's the way it's always been or, you know, whatever. And so finding ways to empower kids to, to find their own voice, to own it, and then to use it um, is really, is really a powerful message underlying kind of the more practical side of like, would I want to be an attorney or how would I do that? Right. Absolutely. And, you know, I think it's also important to be vulnerable in our own experiences with them and share, right? So I've in sharing with those fourth and sixth grade girls to say, listen, no, as an attorney, I've had people think I was the interpreter or anything else other than an attorney because they're used to seeing a man in this role, right? Or, um, you know, I've had adversaries who yell and scream and seek to intimidate me through doing that. But knowing that they felt really scared and threatened, okay, you know, and so much of how they responded had to do with them, but it didn't have to change how I showed up in that space. And, uh, you know, they were just kind of shocked, like, oh my gosh, really? That, that happens? And I said, yes, but this is part of the experience, right? So there are moments, you know, where I may feel, um, can I really do this? I don't know. You know, I'm having these doubts. Everybody has that, but sort of like a, like muscle memory, right? It's working that muscle, your, your leadership and your confidence muscle, and, you know, really pausing to have those moments to connect with the kids instead of just being didactic and talking at them but talking to them and allowing them space to share their thoughts and reflections is, is so crucial. Well, and those, those creative scenario-based learning experience that you, experiences that you're providing are so meaningful. Like those kids are gonna walk away um, with much more to think about having been part of that mock trial versus having you come in for 30 minutes and say, this is what I did because they're actually experiencing it with you they're understanding what you do. Um, and I think if we do a lot more of that, then children would understand what different career paths would look like. You know, they see the common, this is a nurse, this is a teacher. These are the things that we kind of throw at them. But even going back to when you said, these sixth graders want to be influencers. And instead of telling them, well, that's stupid, <laughs> you went to them to try to reason with them, like, what what about that would be exciting for you? And then maybe even, you know, showing them the business side of that, because obviously kids these days, like when they get to be adults, they're going to have completely different careers and there's going to be career paths that we haven't even thought of yet. So I think it's wonderful that you're present in the schools and actually showing up for them and, and listening to them and, and offering those experiences. Thank you so much. You know, it's, um, yeah, I, as an adult who still likes to play, I think that that concept of play is something that we should never get rid of. Um, you're right, making it about them and allowing them to go through that process is much 
different than having this sort of theoretical conversation around it. Um, and taking facts or, you know, concepts that they're really familiar with, you know, by that time, they're so familiar with uh, all of these fairy tales, but kind of spinning it on its head and saying, you know, well, could there have been a reason that the the wolf blew down the house? And, you know, let's, let's think about that, you know, is there some sort of defense and um, is doing a bad thing, does that necessarily make you a bad person, you know, and we really just kind of um, challenging the <clears throat> I think some of the the reductive conversations <laughs> that we we sure. get yeah it's such a great critical thinking exercise even if some of the kids walk away thinking you know being a lawyer wouldn't be for me they're walking away questioning a story that they may not have questioned before so there's definitely so many layers to that exercise absolutely absolutely and i think just so long as you know right you don't uh and that's something that was was passed down from my parents you know they were always very clear on if you want to do something know why you want to do it right i may not agree with you but if you can reason with me <laughs> and explain to me why this is something uh that you'd like to do you know that was something that was so crucial instead of taking that super author authoritarian uh, approach to, you know, to parenting. And just because I said so, it's, you know, it's a different conversation when it's, hey, this is my responsibility to keep you safe. And this is why I'm taking these actions. If you can prove to me that, you know, I can achieve my aims of keeping you safe while you can, you know, do this activity, I am happy to let you do it. So um, yeah, you know, extrapolating that out into the district has been a unique experience for sure. Yeah, that's another really crucial point is intentionality, right? These are all mm -hmm. things that we don't, as much as we, you know, we have all of this uh, curriculum in the education system, right? All of these methods with which we, yes. we teach, all the pedagogy, all the, in the adult world, all the andragogy and like all of these things. But what we don't talk about enough, I think is voice and intentionality right and uh you know we already touched on voice but in like knowing why you're doing what you're doing and critically thinking about is this what i should be doing and if so why and do i you know how much am i care how much do i really care about this and do i feel am i doing it out of obligation am i doing it out of like a sense of purpose or you know and just connecting. And there are certainly things, you know, no, no one is saying there's not things we have to do out of obligation. There's certainly that's life. Um, but not everything we do out of obligation needs to be done that way. Right. And if we could get kids to think, I, I, one of the things that I think I looked at a lot of employer research and what's missing as they get to the employment is that intentionality is that, that connection between why I do this task and it's like, it's almost just like, well, I'm told to do this, right? And this is what I'm supposed to do. Instead of like, there's a purpose for this. How can I do it better? How can I, you know, should it even be done at all? Should I be suggesting ways that we go a totally different route, right? And so building in that into curriculum is, is powerful. Melanie, I'm so, so glad that you touched on that because that's what I do in my day-to-day -day job, right? Is uh, dealing with organizations, their concept of culture, which if nothing else is a framework for decision-making. Right, the way that you make decisions in one organization may be different than the way you make them in another, but uh, adults lose lose grasp of that, 
right? Mm -hmm. And so then they're disengaged. And then we see uh, some of the negative effects that come with uh, losing employees or, you know, certain industries having difficulty retaining employees. It's because there's that loss of that intentionality. And I think it really just has to start at every level, including within the schools, because again, it's an organization and the way that we're making decisions, in my view, uh, needs to be intentional. We need to always be uh, communicating about it, reflecting on it. Is this the way that we need to do it? Is there another way? It's very easy. I understand to get stuck in, you know, we've always done things this way. Uh, but one of my roles, unfortunately, or fortunately, however you see it, is uh, has been to be a disruptor and an innovator. So when I when I came to uh, to the board of that, I remember I brought an iPad and I was taking notes during the meeting. And someone on the board said, "You know, all night you've been typing on that pink thingy. What are you doing?" That pink thing. That pink thingy. And this that was the then board of education president and responsible for ensuring that children were able to show up and succeed in a world today where pink thingies and blue thing, everything's everywhere, right? Right, right. So the fact that you don't even understand the purpose of an iPad when we're using that to, to learn and to engage with students and you're developing policy, it was frightening for me. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> because then how can I, how can we help you understand the value of a Google grant where we're getting children these laptops and you're thinking, oh no, they're just going to go play games. So that could be true. But do right. you understand the value of the games that they're playing, right? Do you understand right. that they can learn through playing? Uh, and so that's, it's been interesting <laughs> to deal with. Yeah. I, you know, I think that there is, uh, gosh, there's just, there's so much, uh, so many places where the disconnect is uh, between policymakers or even administrators, less so I think with administrators because they're on the ground every day, but but super at the superintendent level and certainly um, if you move to the higher ed level, right? There's a real disconnect between, you know, what is happening uh, on the ground and what, it, it, because it's moving, it's just moving too fast, right? I mean, it's yeah. just, and it, that's not really an excuse as much as just the reality. It is moving faster than those who are, you know, kind of in the position of power to legislate or to make critical decisions can keep up. Right. right. And, so, and oh, oh go no, go ahead. I was just going to say, so in your opinion, what, I mean, you're sitting in the seat, you know, ever, all of these dynamics that we're talking about, what kind of advice would you give to other boards of education when they're, you know, um, uh, having these discussions and trying to figure out what, you know, or what, what advice would you give to parents to say, how do we vote the right people in who are going to connect to how fast this is moving and what needs to happen? Absolutely. Uh, the two key pieces of advice are to stay curious and hold people accountable. So I know for my own superintendent, um, you know, if, if ever I feel there's a, a dip in performance, or if I feel there's an opportunity that we might not have have taken, you know, mm -hmm. I, I always say um, my favorite phrase, help me understand, 
right? Because I want to, you may be dealing with, as a superintendent, you're there to oversee those day-to-day operations that I can't see. So help me bridge my understanding of where I'm at and what I'd like to see done versus what you know, you know, is, is feasible or what that would take to get to those places. Uh, and so, you know, our superintendent was, was great in some areas in terms of advocating for our budget and making sure that we could be really creative and do the best that we could with our budget. Um, but had a lot of struggle with dealing with personnel issues and had a lot of struggle with managing people. And I always say some people are great at managing products or things. Some people are great at managing people. Every now and then you get a unicorn who's great at both. But, uh, you know, understanding where, where those gaps are and how to speak to them. So knowing that our superintendent had issues with dealing with personnel issues, I see it as my responsibility to make sure to provide that support, uh, not only because it's, it's what I do professionally, but even if it weren't, I would want to make sure that uh, she had the resources available to her to shore up her, her abilities in that sense. Right. For parents, you know, the same thing. Um, making sure that they're voting down the line. I always tell parents, you should be voting every year. <laughs> it's not just every four years. And when you see, when you get down to the Board of Education, ask important questions because you know i'm from new jersey all politics is local in new jersey oh my gosh um, <laughs> local period i totally uh, exactly i would say everywhere right yeah. but um you know when i i talk to these parents I say ask the important questions what's important to you you know what do you want to see happen for your child and ask those questions if they cannot respond to that that's information Right. right. <laughs> That's information that you can use, but ultimately you're at the helm of this. Make sure that you're showing up to the Board of Education meetings. They're free. You know, most of them now have some sort of virtual link so you can watch from the comfort of your home. Mm -hmm. um, I understand that before it's, you know, it's a lift after a long day of working, you've got to get dinner on the on the table for the kids. And, you know, it's, it's hard to to get out in the evenings. But if you can click a button and join a Zoom link, take advantage of that access and ask those questions because you know that's crucial right absolutely so we always ask this of all of our guests um so i'm going to switch gears and, and hop right in um tell us about an education memory that really impacted you either could be from your childhood or just something that stuck with you for a long time um even as an adult so what is a, an education memory that really had an impact on you? Well, I will say this was, I want to say fifth, fourth or fifth grade. Uh, I, I was an avid reader. I always was. I, according to my parents, started reading at three and just harassed them ever since. Um, <laughs> but I, I had a teacher, Miss Columbus. She moved out to Colorado. So if she was listening, I would say you're fantastic. At the time, I was obsessed with reading all of the American Girl books. And mm. I, you know, on the weekends, you know, I'd go to the library, but at school, I would always read. 
So the day before Christmas or the winter holiday, uh, she called me in to the class before we all wind up and she bought me a box set of one of my favorite American girls of the uh, book collection. And she said, look, just put it in your backpack. You know, if anyone asks where you got it, you know, don't, don't say anything. But um, looking back, understanding that she saw potential and made a choice to do something she didn't have to do, it meant everything. And at the time, I didn't have the heart to tell her I'd read, already read the books. <laughs> but I understood, you know, that this was something that was very sweet that she'd done. Um, so I thanked her and I went back outside and everyone said, oh, you know, what did she call you in for? Did you get in trouble? And I just didn't say anything. But uh, that was something that always stuck with me because, again, it uh, I will always give it to teachers when they see that potential and when they're able to tap in you never know where it could go and Absolutely. I'm so appreciative of her sharing that so that's my memory <laughs> oh, I love it so much that's amazing <laughs> yes she was she was fantastic so I hope she's doing well in Colorado <laughs> yeah. yeah do you know what part of Colorado she went to I don't I want to say Denver Okay. But, you know, I'd have to check with my mom. I would love to, you know, find her on social media or something. And see yeah. What she's doing. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, well, that is, you know, as we start to wrap up, I just, I, I really appreciate highlighting, you know, I, I love this question that we ask all our guests because I really appreciate highlighting people. It is, it, every single person's memory ties to someone else. And occasionally it'll be about a student if they were a teacher and that student taught them as much as they might've taught that student. But most of the time it was a teacher or a mentor or an educator of some sort, even an administrator who took the time to make them feel special, right? That's what it was. It's exactly, she knew something in you she, and, she, and she wanted to encourage it and, and found a way not knowing that you'd read the books, but nonetheless, finding a way that was meaningful to you, right? It's that personalized, um, I mean, personalized education, that sounds like a, a catch-all term, but like it's the personalization of an action. Uh, it's Absolutely. seeing something, it's reaching out, it's making a little bit of that extra effort to encourage it. And I am, I'm just inspired by people who, who go beyond and, and do those things. And in that vein, I'm very inspired by you and your willingness to, your you're speaking to, to two women who are deeply embedded in the education system who also don't have kids. And so I really appreciate that, um, you know, that, that mantra of like, just because I don't have a student in the classroom doesn't mean I can't care about students, I can't care about their future, and I can't care about my community and what students mean to my community. And so I just, I um, so applaud you for, for making that effort and for sticking to your guns and Apparently beating your opponent, even though he tried to sling oh, that yeah. in mud. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best revenge, right? Coming in number one. <laughs> I love it so much. I love it. Well, thank you so much for being here. Um, any last parting words that you would say to other communities who are looking to, to do the best for their students? Anybody else who's thinking about running or maybe people that sit on in positions of power? Um, any last words of advice? Well, first, I want to thank you uh, just for allowing me to to share 
this insight and opportunity. It's such an incredible um, podcast. And, you know, again, I, I listen in just to see what I can try to, to share with my district. So thank you. And uh, to others, again, just stay curious and understand that you have something of value to bring and please make sure that you share it. I love that. So <laughs> oh, well, thank you so much. And um, we really appreciate your time today. Thank you. Be well. Thank you. This has been another episode of Dissecting Education, a production of Impursuit Research, outcomes driven, impact focused. What are you in pursuit of? Mm-hmm.